All right. Today on the podcast, all the way from the suburbs of Chicago, we have Nate Paulsberg. Glad to have you back on, Nate. Yeah, glad to have uh, glad to be back on, Mark. Really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, like I said, I was on uh, a little while back, over a year or so ago, discussing the clutch. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to be back on. Yeah, and this time I think we'll have some conversations, a little bit about uh, Grimp Day, Grimp North America, some rescue competition, and uh, some rope access and rescue. What are your thoughts about those topics? Yeah, I'm excited to talk about all those. Honestly, I think. Um, it was very eye-opening being a grimp again in 2019 and then in 2022. Um, it was very interesting to see the, being on the other end, not competing, evaluating with you guys and being able to kind of see how the teams operated and what techniques they were using. Um, it, it's exciting for me to see in general just the way the rescue world is going and um, starting to embrace rope access more and some of these more efficient techniques uh, and just how we're progressing. Right on. So I guess before we jump into it, for folks that don't know you, why don't uh, quick background on yourself, who you are, where you are, that sort of stuff. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so my full-time job is I'm a lieutenant at the Palatine Fire Department in Illinois. It's a suburb just outside of Chicago. Uh, I am on our state USAR team in charge of rope operations, a rescue manager for our state USAR team. Um and I also teach at multiple academies in the area. And then my other full-time job, uh, basically I have two, is managing director of elevated safety. So elevated safety um, is based out of Chicago. We do have a facility in Colorado as well in the last year. Uh, myself and Ross Chapman uh, were former owners of elevated safety. Uh, and we got acquired by Harkin almost four years ago now. So we've been part of the Harkin Industrial Network along with Cascade Rescue and now SMC and then Harkin. Um, so we're part of that whole group. And yeah, so I'm the managing director for them. I kind of run over oversight on a lot of stuff, but the main things I run for the company are rope access programs and some of our higher level trainings like Tower Rescue Tech and some other uh, higher level trainings for us, so. Right on, and I love that. My second full-time job. I know exactly <laughs> We were talking yeah. beforehand going, yeah, I'm leaving for three weeks. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, yeah, that was exciting. I remember back in the days having chats with you about those uh, that acquisition, and I'm glad mm -hmm. it's worked out and that you guys are moving forward. You definitely become a, a force to be reckoned with around the globe now with that acquisition and the other acquisitions you've picked up. Yeah, we'll see. It's, uh, it's a very exciting time for us right now. Um, obviously, we just, so Harkin, Harkin acquired us a little about four years ago. And the main reason why they did was to really, they were getting away from the, um, um, Harkin, if people don't know, is a major um, uh, marine sailing uh, company. They sell a lot of winches, pulleys, all kinds of stuff to the high end, uh, those high end markets. And they're trying to get into the industrial world and the rescue world so that's why they ended up acquiring us we had a good relationship with uh sean kogan over there he had worked for elevated safety and um he's in charge of park industrial so they acquired us to kind of come in and uh basically just uh entry level into uh, you know the industry world and rope rope access and fire rescue world that's kind of where we live so they acquired us and then you know about a year or so after that they acquired cascade rescue the manufacturing company um, and then we, they just acquired SMC about a month or so ago. So yeah, it's a exciting time. There's a lot of stuff going on, trying to sort it all out. I think everyone keeps getting different, uh, titles and names on a weekly basis as we kind of flow through this whole thing, but yeah, it's pretty, it's been great so far. 
what am I supposed to add to my email signature today? <laughs> right, exactly. We're still trying to figure out some of that before uh, FDIC coming up here shortly. So, right on. And just so the people out there know, <laughs> Cascades, the one with the wicked T-shirts. <laughs> yeah, 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 with the re the Reaper on there. Yeah. Um. So into the uh, the topics of the day, Elevated competed in nineteen in North America and won it. You competed in Namur in nineteen and you placed sixth fifth somewhere in there i don't recall uh yeah i believe we tied six with uh intervention with nick and the guys from uh, the uk so there you go and then um you were part of the directing staff um for 2020 here for grimp north america mm -hmm. and uh yeah just your thoughts in general what uh, station were you on in 2020 here in grimp station was i at yeah uh, I was down at the Shaft Alley, which is a confined space one. So it was down, I think there was, what, was there four? Four confined space scenarios this go around? Yeah, and there um, actually was some comments about, you know, they'd like to see more stuff above the deck for the mm -hmm. you know, visitor or the spectator. But yeah, it's, anyways, that's a different conversation. But yeah, you're down in Shaft Alley. Yeah, yep. So I was down in Shaft Alley down there. It was our confined space scenario. Um do you want me to get into that or want me to talk back about 2019 and then let's go with 2019 let's start there at the beginning okay. and move forward yeah so first off i would just like to say um thank you to yourself and ken and ronan in general because you guys brought us into this whole world back in the day you guys kind of brought us in we, we, you and i met back at pencil road trip way back when we didn't know who each other were but we kind of made friendship from there you know and we've You've always been very honest and very open with everything. And so we appreciate it for sure. And then uh, you ended up having Sean Cogan was on your team 2018, right? Over in Belgium. I think so, yeah. Uh, I think the it was the COVID year is just a gap, right? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's a gap, gap play for. So yeah, Sean was on your, helped out with your team in 2018. And that kind of lit a fire on, under us. And we kind of started watching you guys and what you were doing. So, you know, you guys are the reason why we ended up getting to this in the first place. So, um, so yeah, so back in 2019, uh, was our first go at it. Uh, it was the North America, uh, first, first one in North America put on by CMC. Um, and it was, I'll be honest with you, it was an incredibly stressful event because we were, it was our first go at it. And there was a lot of talk between the, the teams of that were, um, in North America. I think there was a lot of talk at that point from our perspective on teams that were kind of rescue and rope access versus teams that are just strictly rescue kind of fire rescue teams. And that's kind of what we saw at 2019. Um, and the cool thing was about it was, you know, I think all the top teams at, by the end of that, the top three teams for sure was us. And um, I can't remember who came in second, third, but I think it was Axel and Germany and then uh, Namur uh, was in two and three. I can't remember which one was two or three, but um, you know, they, all, they were all rescue type teams that were also, um, had some rope access in them as well. And then I know Rowan's team was in there as well. And then the teams that weren't had no rope access training uh, had had a harder time with it. So that was very interesting to see for us going forward is kind of some kind of some proof in the pudding for us that what we've been doing is uh, is working. And then going over to Grimp Belgium was just another eye-opening experience for us. So you guys have gone there a bunch of times, obviously, but it's very interesting to see how they operate. It's very uh, again, kind of rope access as rescue type stuff. It's very uh, uh, rescuer based, self-sufficient, um, just being efficient with stuff, not taking a long time to set things up. You know, Ed's transitions are much different, I think, than what's taught um, over in the States a lot with just having big team style rescues where you can get 10 to 15 people 
at it, it's very much more small team type rescues and having a couple of really competent, um, self-sufficient guys with, with a high speed gear. So, um, that's kind of what we've been seeing a lot from the last since Grimp um, NA is we've been seeing uh, a really big influx of guys coming uh, to us and probably to yourselves and uh, Peak Rescue, a couple other ones just coming and getting their sprat level training. And I think people are starting to see the benefit of it like we did. I mean, when we first went and did sprat, it was basically we were, you know, 12 years ago or so. We, we had just, we went to it because, you know, we we're trying to find something else to train on. You know, and like you, you said, you just mentioned you guys are going overseas to train over in, uh, um, over in Europe, doing some European rescue classes. It's kind of the same thing. It's like we just we got done with our NFPA style classes and we were looking for more knowledge and ways to keep up on our skills and kind of rope access. This kind of fell into our lap with our uh, uh, the business owner, Colin Moon, originally started a company and he got you know some guys into rope access. And that's kind of where we just went to it. It really just snowballed from there. Then we started doing doing start doing just random jobs and everything else and then uh we go to drills and people would see us operate and we were you know i guess a little more efficient and more knowledgeable and they kind of asked what what do you guys do and then it all kind of led to grimp 2019 honestly with that competition and then uh winning that and people really started to take take recognize the fact that our entire team was you know either firemen or search and rescue professional style rescuers that were and we were all sprat level three uh, technicians. So people started to kind of question maybe what was going on and what we were doing and what you guys were doing and uh, some of the other European teams. And I think it's kind of, uh, I was just taking a look at my notes from the last year and we had, I think back then we probably maybe, maybe we were teaching like, I don't know, maybe eight or eight or so fire rescue guys a year were coming to Sprat. And then last year we ended up teaching almost under around 70. We had come to us for, for Sprat to get certified. So uh, it's pretty exciting for us. I know you guys are teaching as well. Uh, there's a bunch of other great companies out there teaching it. Um, it's it's just become. I feel like for us, it's for for my guys specifically. It's become a, you know, you do your NFPA classes, and then you're coming, you're doing your sprat, your sprat level one at least, and then you're going to be a tower rescue technician class, and that's kind of the flow of just in order to get your foot in the door to be an instructor or to work with us. That's kind of kind of what you need to have done, which is a lot of classes. Um, but this is a good baseline for people, right? And then I think a lot of the, and maybe you can speak to this too, but I know a lot of guys, um, you know, for Sprat and Rope Access, the questions all come like, well, we're never going to do that stuff. Are you ever going to do a, a re-anchor or a, um, some, some of the A-climbing stuff? And, and a lot of stuff you, you may never do. It's just, just, it's just by it's those per, it's learning all those personal skills and having the ability on, on a Wednesday usually is when guys come to me and say, this is the best class for fire they've ever been to because you're on rope 90% of the class. Like you just don't do that in other classes. You're on rope the entire time. Um, when you're done on a, I mean, by the time you're through around Wednesday, especially on a Friday, once you've completed the class, I think you just have a much higher respect for what you can do personally with just the stuff on your kit. Um, you know, you can travel horizontally, vertically descending, and you can, you can facilitate probably 95% of rescues that pop up, honestly, with just like the stuff you have on your kit. And if you strap on a little mini four to one or something, then you're really good to go. But I don't know if you've seen that as well. If, you know, originally we had a hard buy-in for some fire rescue, but now we've seen a lot of buy-in. I don't know if Ronan, any of you guys have been seeing that as well. It's a bit different up here. There's still a bit of hesitation towards it. I know it Ronan yeah. ourselves, like it's part of our progression, like the work for us, even the kids, as I call them, we met a couple of them down there, Scott, who was the patient and Tristan. I mean, they're all Sprat level one and NFPA qualified rescue techs. I mean, that's just a, 
it yeah. work for us. Those are the classes they have to go through. Mm-hmm. And I've told this story. Maybe I've told it on this before. Maybe I haven't. Um, one of our young guys was on a barge job up north. We um, Barge we go to fairly regularly. It's a week-long thing. You fly in. It's up in the middle of nowhere. And he was asked to, to rig an anchor. So he starts to rig it. And the firefighter who was the team leads like, oh, no, you can't do that. What he had done is taken two steel straps or two steel slings carabiner at the end of each clipped it into a rig plate two controlled descent devices i mean this just sounds like a pretty standard setup for anybody mm-hmm. that's done most things and the firefighter was like no hands him a hundred foot rope and goes you got to do a high strength tie off there <laughs> and this kid's looking at him but that's this kid that was there his first two classes was um abbreviated imp when we had eric van Campen weed over for one week then his Sprat level one, then he did his NFPA courses. So his mindset, it was completely different. Like it was ingrained at a different level than the yeah. firefighter's mindset. And the firefighter was an older firefighter. He came from the, the break bar rescue eight kind of days, you know? Um, and it, it's not that that's wrong, but it was so interesting for me to see that shift of, you know, and, and kudos to the young guy going, yeah, no problem. Tied the high strength tie off, rigged to it, made two of them, ended up using up, you know, a hundred feet of rope that he didn't, but, um, you know, just that mindset shift. And when we saw that with Ronan, we started pushing it into the fire department a bit. And I mean, at our department, we're lucky Pat O'Connell, who just retired myself, have a Mm -hmm. fair amount of influence in what we do in the department. Um, and so all of our harnesses are set up. They would look like a rope access harness to anybody that looked at them with any sort of rope access training. And in our bays and outside underneath one of our overhangs, there is a ascend rope to rope, re-anchor, you know, going through the re-anchor setup, the whole thing, horizontal aid that our guys on rescue and girls on rescue have to do. Yeah. And we got that kind of idea from the IMP system over in Europe. And like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. there's a group of us going and actually taking the the official real course. And when you look at it, it's a three-week course over there. And it's there's no weekends off. Like we're over there (laughs) and they're doing a special one in English and French for us. The workbooks will still be in French. They move the PowerPoints to English. And it's 15 days straight. You go find an wow. NFPA course that's 15 days straight for rope. Yeah. And so this is, they include a lot of that. And I've seen some of their stuff before. I mean, obviously I've been to their training centers and whatnot. I've never taken the full program, which is what we're doing, but they have an obstacle course for lack of a better word on rope that their members must complete within a certain time frame in order to get their qualification. Hmm. So it's a combination of, what we would term as rope access and rescue. They learn how to pack. Yeah. They learn how to, you know, two line systems and move people and what have you. But they also learn single rope techniques in order to access patients. And you mentioned where would a re-anchor or re-belay in the old world ever come in? They can't put rope, if they're going to SRT, they have some rules around it. And one of them, I believe what I've been, you know, reading and whatnot is, they can't do a hard edge with SRT. They have to actually put in that re-anchor below mm-hmm. the edge 
so that that rope, they don't have tight rope over an edge if they're on single rope. Yeah. And so they've definitely embraced both aspects. And it's interesting that they've done that considering none of those people have taken IRATA or SPRAC. Yeah. Right. Yet they're, they've come to their own conclusion that having rope access skills, as we would turn them in North America, is an integral part of their fire department rope rescue training. Mm -hmm. So yeah, fairly long yeah. winded there, but yeah. No, but I, mean, I, th I think that's, I think that's really fair. I mean, you see these teams are doing really well, you know, in North America. And as for us, we have, you know, we have a combo, right? We had, you know, we have, uh, we had half our team was fire rescue. We had a couple guys that were um, been on salvage rescue stuff in industry, just sprat guys. And then we had a couple mountain rescue and, you know, the last like decade or so we've tried to do is very similar to you guys, I think. Um, not on the global scale, but you know, around here too, just going to try to go to every class you can and learn from different things. You know, we've gone to arborist rescue, we've done arborist classes, we've done, you know, um rock climbing, mountain climbing, whatever else, and we've taken little gleams of it of kind of all those things and like some of our rigging, some of our rescue stuff, you know, when I go on a bridge inspection or something at a job, I actually have some rock climbing gear and whatever else and arbor gear with me because you know, I think in the U.S. it's very separated or North America, it's very separated, but like overseas, it seems definitely to be uh, not as much. I think they're very merged. Uh, it's kind of a more of a merged, just this rope, I guess. I think North America is definitely going that way. I think in the last five years, especially you see that even with a lot of the equipment coming out, like the, like the clutch and people are using IDs and ASAPs now, which again, I mean, five, 10 years ago, that was just not happening, at least in our area people were not using that stuff and they were scared of it and thought it was going to blow up or kill you. You know, you, and now, now you're seeing guys using 11 mil and you guys are pushing the edge too with like eight mil uh, stuff and whatever else. I mean, I think that's what, what's, what's happening. I think fire rescues rescues finally on board with, um, you know, I would say is that like, you know, for our team, our, our division team, we have a pretty good division team in Illinois, but at the same time, you know, we do two or three rope drills a year, you know, Whereas you have rope rescue, rope access technicians, wherever else that are, they're literally on rope every day doing jobs. So who do you think has a better understanding of gear and what's efficient and safe uh, and everything else? So um, uh, one of my big, uh, one of the stories I always tell, it's one of the big epiphanies I had way back when with the benefit of rope access and kind of where we're going was, that's uh, probably like seven years or eight years ago now. But I went to, uh, out with, um, Lance Pye and them out uh, all the way out west with Richard Delaney. It was his first class in the States. It was like a week-long, five-day-long uh, rigging physics class um, out there that he we went to. And I thought it was very interesting. That, like About half our class was rope access guys, and half the class was fire rescue. And we did a couple scenarios like midweek. And during the scenarios, we did – he just let us go. But it was I was with the fire rescue guys – um, I just be, I was just a level three at that point, but we were doing, um, just some rescue scenarios in this tower. And at the end of the day, he came back and said, you know, he said everyone, I mean, we all accomplished the task, but it was just very enlightening. The fact that the rope, the rope access guys that were like level three, level two guys industry, um, just smoked us on time and, uh, they accomplished the same task, but it was incredibly more efficient less rigging, you know, fire rescue guys, we were doing all this monopod, tie back, deviation stuff, all this fancy rigging. And it just wasn't necessary. But that's kind of where we came from, right? Just like you said, that's kind of, that's kind of what you're known, you know, and you go back to. And then after I saw that, I'm like, huh, 
I'm like, wow, well, they accomplished the same exact task and, and they just did it all efficient. And that's kind of where we've been going ever since, really. You know, like if you look at any of our tower rescue stuff uh, online or whatever, it's all very, it's all, it's, it's nothing crazy to it. It's very, we've tried to make it as simple as possible and as efficient as possible with, with high speed gear and just guys that know what they're doing. Cause that's what you're going to remember, right? You're not going to remember some of this other stuff that's out there. It's great for, for training for that niche uh, rope nerds like us, but you know, a lot of your go-to guys, if you're not, if you're off in Europe for three weeks, like you said, like hopefully you're, you know, your guys that are below you are trained up and they're, you, know, you just can't, you can't count on your, your high, your biggest high speed guy being there at all times. So having stuff that's, that's easy, it's applicable, it's efficient and it's safe for guys is this kind of where we've been really trying to push push all of our trainings and everything else towards um as well so yeah it's um it, it is interesting i mean it's it's one of those things where I mean, we wrap back around to the grim conversation you know there's <laughs> some comments that you know the commercialization of it is it really the same atmosphere that it was back when it started but for us it's still like the team that competed at north america this year had different members on it than the team that competed in 19. And it was a different team that competed at Namur in 21. And it's a different team that's competing in Spain in 22. And you talk about the simplicity and the making of those systems and, you know, you get smoked and when you actually go and train for a grimp and you're competing against time, you have a tendency of finding the most efficient and safest way to do a solve a problem. Mm -hmm. A lot of the stuff that you were trained in the background that's slow and bulky just gets thrown off to the side out of just pure necessity. Yeah. And that's where, like you say, a lot of these rope access techniques come in. So I guess a couple of questions where in 19, you said, you know, the, the rope access, can you fast forward to 22 here? How, did you find the teams this year? Like, did all the teams have rope access or like the top three, top eight, top 10? What are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's one of the biggest things I thought I was really interested to come on here and see with the teams. Um, I think, you know, so the last one back to 2019 real quick is, you know, that we had an ascending station set up that CMC had an ascending station set up there for the teams. And I think, I, I think the last one, 2019, there's at least three, if not four teams that had no ascending equipment and they had enough, they had to like, make stuff up or give, be giving it to them and they just weren't proficient at all in it uh whereas this time that wasn't necessary everyone came into it kind of knowing what was expected they watched the videos and the, the pictures from last time so they're pretty keyed in on rope access kind of summit style techniques to, in order to just to be able to compete um so that's what's interesting for me is being being in my space uh in a confined space scenario um i think every so in the, the one i was at was basically they had an entry hole. They had to go in, drop down about three to four levels, uh, four levels down, uh, traverse horizontally, and then they had there's two access lines set for them on the other vertical. And they had to ascend up to the patient, package the patient up, bring him, bring him or her back down, uh, down that, and then straight back down where they came in. So the rescuers had for sure had to be able to ascend up in a confined space type area. Um, so right, right there, I mean, it was, it was different than last time. So last time in 2019, I think a lot, some of the teams really struggled. I think they weren't able to complete the, the one maybe that you were on outside with the, uh, the ascending portion of it because they just didn't have those skills. And this one, you could tell everyone did, 
Um, you know, everyone was, everyone was rocking in with, with ASAPs and clutches uh, for the most part, some IDs in there as well. So yeah, it was interesting to see. I think the, we were one of the only teams last go around that even in the confined space scenarios, we treated them very much like rope access in a way where we figure our guys are, uh, we had all level three guys and they're all, you know, I consider them all mobile rescuers. So for me, when we rolled up to a scenario, it was like, all right, Dale or whoever, like you have your, you have your own rope set. You're going to make your own anchors and you're completely self-sufficient. He's gone. He's going in the hole and he's going immediately to access the patient. Um, and I don't have to worry about him. He's, he can go down there by himself. He can set his own anchors. Um, and he's going to ascend back up in order to egress out. And that's what we ended up doing. And our guys would go down like the one scenario on the bow that was the high line scenario coming out and they like you're we pulling the victim up while our guys were ascending up on their old lines after him so as soon as the victim came out uh, our guys popped out of the hole with you know less than a minute after that because they were ascending up behind him we didn't have to haul them back up out of the hole so again it's being more efficient with everything um, and having self-sufficient guys that are completely mobile is pretty key and that's what you saw this time so every team that went in all six teams that had went in on my side uh, all did the same thing. They literally, they came in, they set their ropes, and then the team leader said, go ahead, go down there, figure it out. And they were completely self-sufficient, which is really cool to see. So they're all self-sufficient. They're all taking off. They're bringing the victim up. up. Um, I think all of them ended up ascending up. No one was getting hauled up through through the hatches. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was different. It was definitely an upgrade from, from 2019. You could, you could see the lessons learned from 2019 and teams were coming and knowing kind of what to expect. And they were... Um, Treating it, treating it a little bit more. Again, hate seeing rope back to sea because I think eventually it's just going to become fire rescue type training, just like it is over in Europe. But yeah, kind of a little more rope access style type stuff with the self sufficient mobile guys with their own gear that can that can just be counted on to go off and do the thing. And it's interesting you say that, like if you're terming this as rope access, you know, when you mentioned the ascent. I'm pretty sure a send a fixed line is a JPR in the NFPA rope rescue world. It is for sure. But as you know, cause we teach <laughs> NFPA as well. There's like, I think you have to ace in like six feet or something. And it's like, I don't know. It's a, you know, it's a completely different, it's between different skills that having to ace end up uh, 40 feet in a confined space, banging around versus, um, you know, six to 10 feet in open free space for a class just to get a checkbox. So it, and that's the thing that's that rope access rope access class will give you be IRATA or SPRAD or the one that CMC's put on now. I mean, it's you know, it's just again, it increases your personal skill level. Yeah, I mean, it's like you say, it just provides you more skill on rope. And as the mine rescue boys call it, the the barrel boy or the attendant in the real world here, there's a lot of conversation that that person should have some rope access skills because they are having to move around that patient and especially in a confined space when mm -hmm. a lot of times the geography of the space limits the amount of people you can stuff on the end of that rope i.e an attendant where that attendant has to move within that space with that patient to be their advocate but can't be attached to them yep yeah um, and, you, and, you, and you've seen that you've seen a bunch of that too i know delaney's been pushing that for a few years now as well and a lot of people are getting away from having that attendant as do we, uh, if it's if only if it's necessary, we'll use tag lines. But again, we'll have having that rescuer mobile and being able to, you know, gr and again, Grimp, Grimp was a huge benefit to us in 2019. That's what all the teams are doing, right? I mean, the, you know, they have a rope set set up, the rescuer goes down, makes access, and he's usually ascending back up next to the basket, maybe. 
um, if he doesn't have to be on the basket. And all it's doing is in, it's also just increasing your safety margins, you know, because if you don't have a two-person load on your hull system, on your artificial height direction or whatever else, you know, that's just a benefit to everything. So your your safety margins on your systems uh, go way up by, by, by not having that rescuer on if you don't have to as well. No, absolutely. A um, couple other questions, and these, you know, mm -hmm. The difference between 19 North America and 19 Namur, what did you find is the greatest difference? Oh, man. Um, bigger scenarios. So I think, you know, I think the one we had, uh, and you guys did it obviously as well, but I think, what was that bridge? Was it oh, 300 feet we had to ascend up? I, I want to say it was like an 80 meter ascent. Yeah. Yeah. It was something crazy. Like, but guys, if you didn't see it, but like, I mean, every, every team ender had to ascend up like two, 300 feet. I can't remember what the exact height was up to the top of the bridge you had to bring your gear with you set it up up, up top in a small area on a side of a road that was still running <laughs> and then and that's still open and then you had to set up a haul system and haul up the man basket or, uh, uh your litter all the way up to the top and that was finished so i think it was just uh it was cool to see it was just like those bigger those bigger style scenarios even like the that other bridge scenario where we had that that huge re-anchor that was uh, a couple other ones. There's just, uh, just really big, big stuff that you had to uh, be really, it was much more physical, I guess, you know, like your whole team had to really be um, in pretty physical, good shape for it because you're, you're humping your gear around and you're, you're doing pretty big climbs. And I think they started that one off with, uh, with that obstacle course thing, which was pretty cool in the beginning. It was almost like a rope, rope access, like obstacle course. Yeah. So, uh, I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, it was very eye-opening. Again, it was, it was cool to see the other teams go and see what they're doing. Again, like you said, the whole Grim community thing has always been a, you know, it's com competition, yes, but it's also it's trying to learn from others and see what they're doing. So, I mean, yeah, we learned a lot from both. I think we uh, learned a lot from from uh, Grim Belgium for sure to seeing what other teams were using, different techniques. Again, it's very much more high high speed than over in the states is uh, right now, but we're kind of getting, getting to that. You can, see, you can see that also in the rope access uh, community for jobs like over overseas is you know you know we're out of chicago and we don't we don't get that many jobs in downtown chicago because of scaffolding unions and whatever else whereas overseas rope access is a much more prevalent thing um than it is over here and you can kind of see that in their in their rescue too right it's just it's just kind of like ingrained with them they's they's ascending and moving around on rope it's just kind of what they do no absolutely and then the differences that you saw as a participant in 19 to being on the directing staff in 2020. Um, was there anything that you looked at from the directing staff and went, Oh, that's why we had to do it this way, or that mm -hmm. made more sense or anything like that? Yeah. I think whenever you do any of these things, you're always going to get blowback from some competitors and teams, whatever else. It's never going to be perfect. It's like a training, you know, but uh, CMC did an awesome job of setting this whole thing. I think, I think 2019 to 2022, uh, the feel, I think, I you know, I was talking to you as well in the after-party stuff is the feel of it was much more like overseas in Belgium than 2019. 2019 was kind of like a feeling out process. I think no one really knew what to expect. And then 2022 was much more of a, I uh, definitely had the feel of, of being overseas more with the camaraderie and the after-party stuff and whatever else. That's a lot of it, that, that networking um, and everything else afterwards. So, so yeah, being on the command staff was great. Um, it was definitely less stressful, which is awesome. I actually was able to go, go, we actually able to go around and see stuff and not be worried about the scenarios. Um, but yeah, being able to see the insight behind it and like what we're trying to do with it and trying to bring skills in. And then, you know, I think the really cool thing for me was seeing the, uh, 
collaboration of their evaluators, honestly, was, I mean, every, every point that came up prior to, I think, CMC, uh, Wayne Chapman and them did an awesome job of really trying to bring in, um, you know, Ronan, ES staff, uh, the Roco guys, CMC staff, and we, we really collaborate on the answers. You know, they bring up an issue of uh, point of contact or whatever else. And like we, we took some deliberate thought on it and discussion because um, there are different points. Right. And you got you're going to have different standpoints. If you're an East Coast or West Coast or Midwest or or Europe, you're going to you might have a little bit different take on something. So um, so that was really cool to see for me. And then um, just being involved, it was very cool to see the each team go through. I was I was really surprised by the fact that. Um, I thought it was, it was a fairly basic scenario, right? You just you got anchors, anchors, bomb-proof anchors, and guys were going down into confined space. There's no artificial high directional that needed to be set up. And I had six uh, six groups come through, and six groups rigged it differently. Um, which, and they were all fine. Whatever they whatever they did, they were they were all efficient. They did they did a great job with it. That's just like what they knew. But I thought that was very interesting. Is that um, each of all. I was waiting for the last one because I'm like, it's going to be really interesting if this one's different. And they all just did a little bit something different. You know, it might, it might be where um, if they're using an ASAP or not, where it was, it might be, I think three of them did uh, four to one sets, setups, like an elevator um, for the victim. And then three, three did drop uh, uh, two to one drop loops, but they were set up differently again, which is, which is pretty cool. So uh, that, that's the thing, the basic thing for me was the being able to watch the teams the teams that did really well too, it was, it was fun to watch why. And it was a lot of it is uh, honestly leadership. Uh, the leadership was, was, was a big thing. Um, uh, I mean, I shout out to peak rescue. They did awesome. They, they won this competition. Um, Micah did a great job in there as, as their team leaders. I mean, but all of them really did. Uh, TNT's guy did as well. And um, um, the yes, ma'am's, Yes, ma'am's uh, coordinator uh, lead was awesome as well. And it's, it's really just that communication. And, and that's what part of this Grim stuff does is that, you know, you get points for that and you get, you get graded on it. And uh, it was interesting seeing that the clear, concise communication was key. And then having the guys, the teams that did really well to me, seeing the ones that once they got to the victim or out there, they're coming back and giving uh, can reports or I would call them, you know, conditions, actions, and needs. And they were giving can reports back to the team leader. Um, and they just kept flowing with it. So there's, you can just tell the teams that had really good communi- communications really did really well. There's no confusion um, and kind of flowed through the scenario. So that, that was really cool for me to see as well. It's just like what made those teams efficient versus other ones that kind of got caught up here or there and stuff. It's interesting you bring that up. I got one question. The four mm-hmm. to ones versus the drop loops. Were the drop loops done by Europeans and the four to ones by North Americans? The uh, one North American team, uh, Peak Rescue, Micah's team did a drop loop. Um, the rest, yeah, the, the first two uh, American teams did um, four to ones. Yep. Yeah, and it's just interesting so, to see that that influence from where they came from. It is. And I, don't, I, I don't think a lot of guys, especially in that kind of environment, I mean, to, unless you have a really bigger patient, you can, do a, you can do some pretty good damage lifting somebody up with a two to one pretty quickly. I mean, I think you can definitely get it. No, I shouldn't say damage, I guess, but get them uh, speed, speed, that sounds bad, but speed wise, getting them, getting them up and going. I mean, it's, um, it's very doable. My so, understanding is peak did a one-to-one on the large confined space. Okay. Yeah. They just, yeah. just hauled it, put it through a crawl and uh, just did squats. Yeah. And why not? Right. So, I mean, it's almost like a, almost like a counterbalance system, which again, like we've talked before. So yeah, 
yeah, again, just clean, efficient stuff that there's no need for, you know, people that did the four to one haul, like, you know, have, have issues with getting it down and, and getting bundled up and some other stuff. So, um, yeah, again, just clean, efficient rigging, like to me is this, that's kind of been our motto the last couple of years, especially is this clean, efficient rigging wins today. This is a safer, it's safer and it's faster, it's more efficient. Now, the other comment you made there, and I just want to touch on it, was the leadership end. And mm-hmm. we've certainly noticed it at Ronan. I mean, we, like you say, I, I think for the most part, there's only been a couple people that have led more than one team in our company. And we've competed in a fair number of these. And the leadership component is huge. Um, yeah. Now, did you, do you see a gap in that in the industry? Did you find that the teams that were doing better leadership were fire-based or just had worked together longer or what were your thoughts around that? Yeah, it's tough. Cause I mean, all these teams are fire-based. So I think, I think in general, a lot of these teams coming into this, which is great. They have, they have very good uh, um, communication skills, which this is, that's honestly why a lot of good, why a lot of firemen make good rope access technicians down on bigger job sites for us, because they do have that chain of command. They understand it. They have, they understand leadership and communication. So, you know, everyone was kind of there with it. It's just the, the ones that kind of separated themselves. You could tell it. And I, you can't even say it's communication. It's almost like you, I guess like you just said it, it's just like teams that have worked together for it. And, you know, that's, that's, you could tell the teams that had worked together, right? Like this, like this, like over here, like I've taught, I don't know how many classes with some of the guys on my team. Right. So they just, they know what I, I'm going to do or I want, or they want, they're, I know what they're going to do prior to us even doing it. Like, I know if they find a victim, like, okay, yep. He's probably going to do this and he's going to get him out. And I know we need to have this set up. Like you can kind of just, so that was part of it too. Is almost that just like there's communication, but it's very clear and concise because guys have been working with each other and they understand they don't need a whole lot of communication. They understand like, okay, I'm at the victim. I need two ropes. I need to pull them down. All right, cool. Done. They're going to give them the stuff they need and, and they're off to the races. So that's excellent. I mean, it's, I, I think it is a bit of a gap when you talk to some people with the regards to it. So, um, mm-hmm. and then you'd mentioned a lot about the rope access. Is there anything in particular in rope access that you think, Hey, if we had to re if we could wave our magic wand and make the NFPA standard get rewritten to add rope access skills into it, are there specifics that you would think would be more important than others? It's just, it's just vertical mobility. I think vertical mobility is the biggest thing I've seen for guys that it helps them out with. They're just not used to it. Again, like you said, NFPA, you know, it is part of it. You have to ASEN, but again, like you have a 20, 20, 25 person class, how much do they ASEN during the week and then they go back and practicing? They're not. So, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to put up, pointer on just one rope access skill because really it's by it's by that wednesday or thursday that guys kind of just start clicking you see it like you know initially they're fumbling around and don't get it then by thursday you figure it out because you're trying to be more efficient on climbing you're not muscling stuff you know i think i think the rope access style training in general is just a little more we really teach the why to stuff versus just telling you to do it you know it's not like hey do this three to one done you know i mean and again, you brought the point of the um, of your guys before doing that high strength tie off, and you know I have a good story from 2019, which again was eye opener for me. It was a team we were going against. We had the first scenario, and we came out in like 20 minutes, and they didn't finish it. And you know at that point, I mean, I realized like they weren't our competition for it, so I just asked them what they were doing, and he was saying it's like, well, we were using webbing, and they're doing uh, wrap three pull twos inside a battleship, and I was like, dude, like what are you doing, man? <laughs> 
I'm like, he's like, well, what are you guys using? I was like, well, we have like blue water rhino slings that have edge pro built in. They're like 9,000 pound, like girth hitched, choker hitched and whatever else. He's like, oh, you guys can use those? And it's like, it's like, well, yeah, we can use these. That's all we use in the industry. We have to have like rated stuff. So we ended up giving them like a couple of slings to use just for the competition, just because, you know, uh, but again, it's that mindset. They haven't, they're not used to it. They haven't done it. So, um, yeah, it's a long story, I guess, but yeah, getting back to it, it's just, it's, it's, it's hard to pinpoint just one thing. I think, I think fire service in general, uh, I think you just have to start to realize even more and more is that you can't, not everyone's going to be some all-star rope nerd guy right like like a lot of us like we have companies for a reason you know we got into this so we could continue on if you're not doing it daily it's very difficult um you know chicago fire department we teach for uh they've they bought in a few years ago they send they send uh, all their uh squad guys to us now for sprat and for tower rescue tech and you know i talked to their their uh, uh tim Mulse, who was in charge of special operations back in the day he asked like you know like what do we need to do what do you think and like and he realized too like, like not every person is is that rope access style uh, rescuer some of them are going to be ground riggers some of our team-based guys and you're going to have you need to have like some high speed higher end guys that can especially i think with tower rescue it's it's not being taught a ton out there in the world um on the u.s yet it's starting to get out there with some companies but you know that's it's just a different world it's, it's not it's not this this top down rescue style it's a bottom up style rescue style and you probably have one or two guys with high, with uh with higher speed equipment and uh, training that need to facilitate. You don't have 10, 12 guys on top of a rooftop top to set up a artificial high directional and a hull system or whatever else. So it's interesting you bring that up because I mean, and this is the differences even in the fire service. So when we teach up here in the fire service, it's under something called the start program and it's money through industry that's funneled to the fire departments. And part of that course has to include your NFPA tower technician. So okay all of our rescuers that go through our top tower. Mm -hmm. So when you're down there talking about, you know, bringing, you know, staff or firemen, firefighters through tower, you know, yeah. to us, that's like, wow, okay, that's, that's a, a, a minimum standard. So that's even interesting. Just yeah. Fire service between Canada and the U S East coast, West coast. Yeah. And it's, you know, we started teaching tower like, oh, man, I don't even know, eight years ago or so now we, I think we were one of the only ones in the country who we were teaching tower rescue operations and tech for NFPA. And a lot of people didn't even know it was out there. I mean, we teach at FDIC as well for uh, our one day awareness class, but um, it's been in the NFPA for, uh, I can't, even, I can't remember now. It's at least probably eight years, six or eight years, probably at least. Um, and a lot of people just don't even know it's in there. They just focused in on, because you know, it's just it's a lot right we got you know for us down here in the states our, our use our team members our tech team guys are you know your trench your collapse you got some hazmat in there maybe your swift water you have confined space rope i uh, know now add tower tower on that as well so um so yeah it's it's part of our like my team palatine trt team is part of it as far as check but it's not really even for the state it's not required for us for to be on the state USAR team, you don't have to, it's like a nice to have is tower rescue technician, but it's, it's not, it's not required. Huh. No, that's and, that's, uh, that, and that obviously changes from state to state and area to area, but for us, that's what it is. Oh, and it's up here too, because that'll change from province to province, um, depending mm -hmm. on what the standard is in that particular province. So, yeah. Um, any other thoughts on <laughs> grimps or competitions or rope access and rescue? 
Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned, I think you mentioned before on another podcast, but just bringing it up again is, you know, a lot of people, some people don't like the competition style stuff. They think it's unsafe or teaching bad habits. And we weren't really sure, honestly, going into the first North American one either. But I think, um, I, I believe you said it at one point, or at least, at least I know we've discussed this for sure. We've discussed it many times is that um, there's really no way to simulate like the stress of being on a real world rescue incident um other than a competition style something like this and that's what's that's what was one huge benefit for us too uh from from 2019 from uh north america and belgium was that the uh the stress level of it does somewhat simulate you know a real world rescue and having to get things done and uh trying to remain clear and all that so so i think there is a really big benefit to it um and it's always been a safe safe operation for for the for the rescuers and the other huge benefit of it is this the amount of um practice that goes into it prior you know so like we, we didn't compete this year part one of the reasons like we just didn't have time to to get our uh our, our practice in together i know some teams i know like your team it comes from all over canada as well so like trying to get them together to practice is a, is a pretty big tasking but uh it's just good for everybody because it gets guys together they're practicing skills or getting sharpened up before the board as well and then they're uh, coming out of it so yeah, that was one of the big takeaways for it for Grimp and Jump for competition. And I think the biggest takeaway for the Grimp competitions, uh, and if CMC decides to do it again in two years or a year, you know, it's, it's just coming out there and being around like-minded people and individuals and talking about things. I think that's probably what I got out of the most out of the entire uh, entire uh, competition altogether is just the afterwards talking to other people, learning from them. I mean, down in my hole, it was, it was pretty cool. We had uh, Shaggy Williams from Vertical. It was down there. No, great dude. And I, I never met the guy before, but I was stuck in a hole with him for two days. And right now, now we're now we're now we're buddies. I'm sorry. So just stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he's a good dude. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, he's awesome. But it's like uh, like stuff like that, or like your guy Mike down there from Ronin and um, Ethan from CMC and Alan from CMC. So you know, the whole time we were down there talking about things, what we would do, what we saw, and uh, you know, then the after party stuff, going over things, and you know, I've, since since then I've got another hundred plus. Uh, friends on facebook and social as, as is usual and uh it's just a small community man and you know that it's like going to eiders and some of this stuff it's just a very small community everyone's very very open to discussing discussing things and it's very like uh everyone's trying to help each other out which is very cool to see so yeah and i mean for the folks out there listening that don't have a team and there's people that show up just to watch that uh you know mm -hmm. are leaders in the rope world as well you know there's a lot of folks that just show up to take a look and to chat and people we know from different areas um a lot of folks yeah. from the state of california showing up from san diego long beach up the coast a little bit so and it's mm -hmm. great to see those folks as well yep wicked anything else to add oh uh, no i don't think so i feel like we, i feel like i said a lot so yeah, there <laughs> you, you go well, I appreciate you coming on and giving some opinions of uh, rope access and rescue and about the rescue competitions in general. Yeah, man, for sure. I, I appreciate your time. It was great seeing you guys again. Again, it's been a couple of years. Uh, and, I want, and once again, I just want to thank you, you and Ken and your whole Rona staff. You guys have really been pushing the envelope of all this stuff, this higher speed, um, you know, continuing to progress, progress uh, the community for rescue and make it safer and more efficient. So I appreciate that everything you guys are doing. Thank you. All right. Until next time. All right, buddy. Bye-bye.